And so intellectual property law, just briefly, under copyrights, the human, it always has to start with a human, the human being who creates something original and puts it in a tangible form. They write it down, they record it, they photograph it. At the moment of creation, copyright protection attaches. And it is the human who creates it, who is also the owner. And so that is the default. But we can change that through contracts. Welcome to this week's episode of the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin, lawyer, mama of kid and doggy, tennis player, once and future trail runner, YouTube addict, and dreamer. I provide legal tips and bits for turning your expertise into recurring revenue, turning your time-intensive hourly-based business to one that is scalable and hopefully one day saleable is the journey from hourly to exit. This podcast is for experts, consultants, coaches, and other professional services providers with sophisticated corporate clients. If you're investing in the growth of your business, you need advice and resources that address the issues that set you apart from other service-based businesses. Those templates for online businesses don't mean a thing when your client sends their 50-page master services agreement to you for signature. Stop playing small because you don't know how to protect your ideas. Hourly to Exit is here to show you how to navigate the maze of contracts and intellectual property issues so that you can safely and profitably share your ideas with clients and with collaborators. Before we dive in, please remember that this podcast provides general information only. The content of this podcast should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not intended to be a substitute for professional legal consultation. Each legal situation is unique and the laws and regulations can vary widely by location and they do change over time. For specific legal advice regarding your individual circumstances, please consult with a qualified attorney who can address your specific needs. Now, let's get started with today's topic. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this month's LinkedIn Live. I do these every last Wednesday of the month, whether there are four Wednesdays or five Wednesdays like this month. I was shocked by how much time I had to prepare for today's LinkedIn Live. And we talk about different topics of interest to experts in the areas of contracts and intellectual property and copyrights in particular. And so I do, these are recorded and you can find them on my profile at Aaron Austin and also on my website, Think Beyond IP. I do sometimes release these as podcast episodes. My podcast is hourly to exit and it depends on how clean this recording is. We'll be if this one gets on or if I re-record it afterwards. So please do check out those resources as well. If you are listening to this in audio only, there are PowerPoint presentation that has slides I will be talking you through it, but if you're interested, then go find the video so you can also see the resources. For those of you who are here live, I'm happy to take your questions. I'll talk for a bit and then open the floor to your questions and you can post them in the comments at any time as well. And so let's get to today's topic, which is spotting 
the hidden license and our client agreements. So what we're going to talk about is particularly how we protect or fail to protect our intellectual property with our clients and in particular with our client agreements. So we protect our intellectual property in two ways. There is the intellectual property law, which is the default in the U.S., and which applies when you don't have any contracts at all. And so I actually don't have a slide about what happens if you don't have contracts at all. So if you have questions about that, then ask me about that when we get to the Q&A. And then the other way is with our contracts. So we can change the default through the use of contracts. You know that I like to talk about copyrights in particular, because when we are experts with corporate clients, the copyrighted works, the things like our trainings, our workshops, our PowerPoint presentations, our courses and books, those are all copyrighted works. The things that are the expression of our expertise, those are things we protect with copyright. It's different than trademarks. I don't talk about trademarks because that's not what provides value to our clients. I have a stylized IP logo in the corner there. I think it's kind of cute, but you get absolutely no value from that. You get the value from the stuff that I talked to you about. And so we will focus on protecting our copyrighted works when we enter client agreements. And so intellectual property law, just briefly, under copyrights, the human, it always has to start with a human, the human being who creates something original and puts it in a tangible form. They write it down, they record it, they photograph it. At the moment of creation, copyright protection attaches. And it is the human who creates it, who is also the owner. And so that is the default. But we can change that through contracts. And so we'll talk about that. In our client agreements, there we're going to talk about the provision specifically in your client agreements that addresses the contractual provisions that change the default. And so some of the paragraph headings you will find it under intellectual property is probably the number one, probably 75% of the paragraph headings will be intellectual property, but other ones might be deliverables or work product or just ownership. I went through a couple dozen examples of client agreements that I've worked on to see what they generally say. And so these are where you will look for the language regarding intellectual property rights in connection with the work that you do for your clients. Before we get into a real example that we will parse, I want to just talk about the concepts that we will find in a client agreement in that intellectual property provision. And so these are the types of ownership or permissions that we have in copyrights under intellectual property law. So the highest level, and I'm going to use that term highest level, and you'll see why in a minute. Well, actually, the highest level isn't even on this slide because it's when we just do work for ourselves. So I sit down and I write a post as Aaron Austin, and I am the human being who created it. So I am both the author and I'm also the owner. So I'm the creator and the owner. There's just one human or entity involved in the creation of that copyrighted work. But when we are doing work with third parties, when we're doing client work, there's obviously two parties involved. There's you and I as consultants, and then there's our client. And so the top level of ownership is the work for hire. The work for hire means there is the human being who created it, 
but there's somebody else who is the owner. There's a second entity who's the owner. So the classic example is the employee-employer relationship, whether or not there's an agreement in place. If I create something as an employee and I create it in the course of my scope of duties, so I am the head of HR and I write the employment guide, the employee handbook. I created that in the course of my employment. I am the human being who created it. But the author for copyright purposes is my employer and also the owner. So if we were to look that up at the copyright office, there's only one entity listed there, employer. I don't appear anywhere on there. I don't even exist for the purposes of the creation of that asset. When it's not an employee and it's a contractual relationship like what we have with our clients, then the work for hire concept also exists. You do have to have the magic words work for hire. We'll look at that in a second. And then when we have that, it's in writing and it's signed and it's work for hire. The human being, the consultant is creating it, but the client is the owner. And again, there's only, they immediately own it as if they created themselves. So there's no separation there versus assignment. When there is an assignment, I have the creator and that is the human, of course. And then I have the person who's going to own it. So if we were to look at that in the copyright office, there would be the author, the human, and then the owner would be the separate entity, the client. So there is actually a transfer of rights from the creator to the owner. And that's the assignment. And then license is the last level where the creator and the owner is the same but they're given permission to the third party to use some or all of my rights that I have in that work. These are the three kind of concepts that we will find in a client agreement. So let's look at an example. This is going to be a very typical provision. It will have this first section. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I'm going to point out the key provisions that we are looking for. So in this first paragraph, it is talking about the rights that contractor, I use the term contractor instead of consultant here, is providing to the client. So this refers to the deliverables, that the contractor is agreeing that all the deliverables are owned by the client and that the contractor has no rights in it and that it is a work for hire for the client. So that is that first level. As soon as it's created by the contractor, it is as if the client created it and they immediately own it and immediately have all the rights under copyright law in that work. However, the bucket of things that can fall under work for hire when it is a contractor relationship versus an employment relationship is actually defined. Like not everything we do qualifies as a work for hire when it's a contractual relationship as opposed to an employment relationship. So there is a bucket of things that it applies to. If it doesn't, for some reason, fall into one of those specific buckets, a work for hire eligible work product, then the assignment comes in because then the client, okay, if it doesn't qualify as a work for hire, I still want to make sure I get all the rights. So if it's not a work for hire, contractor assigns 100% of the rights in that deliverable to client. So here, again, the client ends up with all of the rights but it is through an assignment as opposed through as if they created it themselves, but still they get all the copyrights with the client and the contractor retains no copyright interest in that deliverable. 
And then the second paragraph refers to those elements that the contractor brings to the table. I mean, there's a reason they're coming to you instead of somebody else because you have a system, you have a model, or you have some research or data or something that you're bringing to the table. And you want to make sure that you continue to own those materials. So we want to make sure that we are carving out from that work for hire and that assignment your pre-existing materials. This second paragraph says you retain ownership in those things. But where is the license? So the last part of that sentence is the license that you are granting to your client to use your materials. Obviously, they have to have a license to use it. Let's say you do a strategic analysis. And as part of that analysis, you're using some pre-existing research that you had. You're using some models and templates that you have. And you package that together for the deliverable. And you present that strategic analysis to your client. And so they have to have the right to use the things that you incorporated in that deliverable. The issue is how broad is that license? This is very standard language that you will see from the client. Now, first of all, this one is fairer than a lot of client agreements because a lot of client drafted agreements won't even have this second paragraph in it. It will just be 100% of the deliverables. I own it because I'm the client. But probably at least 40% will also have this second paragraph that acknowledges that you're bringing your own materials to the table and that they simply get a license to it. But let's look at this license. In the middle of the second paragraph, it says, contractor hereby grants a client a limited, worldwide, perpetual, irrevocable, royalty-free, fully paid up, transferable right and license to use, execute, reproduce, sub-license, display, perform, distribute, maintain, create derivative works, and make modifications and improvements to the contractor materials. This is very common starter language, you know, standard language that you'll get from your client. And so what is wrong with this? You know, we didn't start from the basics of what the bundle of copyrights that you get as a copyright owner, but I'll tell you what they are because they're all right here in this license. The exclusive right you get as a copyright owner is that you get the exclusive right to reproduce, sub-license, display, perform, distribute, create derivatives, and make improvements. Those are your exclusive rights as a copyright owner. And so when you have a license that is this broad, even though you were retaining ownership of that work, you have granted a license to your client that is so broad that they can do everything that you can do as a copyright owner without coming back to you. So they can sub-license it. They can create derivatives. They can reproduce it, distribute it without paying you another dime because you have granted them that broad of a license. So what do we want to do? We want to make sure that we are limiting that license. And so just, you know, I probably should do my disclaimer here. Of course, this is information and legal advice. If you have specific questions about your agreements, talk to a lawyer, but this is pretty good advice, information. So there are a couple of things that we want to do. First of all, we want to make sure that the grant of license is subject to them paying your fee. What's the difference? So if the grant of license is not subject to paying your fee. You have granted the license. So they have the right to do whatever they want to with it. You can do all the things. And if they haven't paid you, well, they've breached their contract and you have a contract claim against them. So they're supposed to pay you $10,000 and they don't pay it. Well, then you can sue them for the $10,000, right? If the grant of the license is subject to payment of your fee, 
and they haven't paid it, that means they don't have a license, which means if they use that deliverable without a license, what is that? That is a copyright infringement. And so then you not only have a contract breach, you also have all the statutory damages that you get under intellectual property law because they have infringed your copyright if they haven't paid your compensation. So we want to always have that. This it should never be controversial when you're asking for this. Typically, they will not agree to it with respect to the work for hire, the assignment. You can try it. There should be no objection to it with respect to the license of your intellectual property. Clarifying that it's non-exclusive. Frankly, you know, if it doesn't say exclusive, it is by default non-exclusive. But let's be clear so there's no misunderstanding. Nobody thinks they have an exclusive license. And then we've just cleaned up to make sure that the license that you have granted them in your pre-existing material is only for their use and their use alone. They can't transfer it. They can't sublicense it. They can't create derivatives. And it is for their internal use. And, you know, I'm making the assumption that the deliverables for their internal use, most of the things that we do for our clients is to help them inside their businesses. It's not something that they're reselling. And so make that very clear in the license so that if they want to do something else with it, they want to use it with an affiliate or they want to somehow incorporate it in something that they're going to sell. You want to make sure that your fee is consistent with the breadth of the use that they're looking for. These are all very reasonable requests. People often ask me, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask for changes. You are allowed to ask for changes. They just need to be reasonable and to be very clear that you're simply trying to protect your intellectual property, but you do want to make sure that they have the rights to do what they need to do with your deliverables. And so with that, that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about. With that, I am happy to take your questions and you can pop them in the chat. And also you can always find me if you have any follow-up questions on LinkedIn, please feel free to connect with me there. And then the recording will also be available there as well. So I'll hang around for a minute to see if you have any questions. Otherwise, I thank you for joining me. All right, guys. Well, thank you again. And if anything comes up, you know where to find me. And I look forward to next time. Don't forget the last Wednesday of every month at noon Eastern. And I do take requests. So if there's ever a topic that you want me to address on a live, just shoot it over to me and I'd be happy to do that. Thanks. And then that's where you can find me as well and online. All right. Thanks, guys. See you next month. This week's episode of the Hourly to Exit podcast is sponsored by the NDA Navigator. Non-disclosure agreements, also known as NDAs, are the bedrock of protecting your ideas and your business's confidential information. Of course, I recommend that you have a lawyer review any agreement before you sign it. However, facing a constant stream of NDAs can be overwhelming, especially when time and budget constraints prevent you from seeking full legal review. That's where the NDA Navigator comes in. Designed specifically for entrepreneurs, consultants, and business owners with corporate clients, the NDA Navigator is your guide to understanding, negotiating, and implementing NDAs. Empower yourself with legal insights and practical tools when you don't have the time or funds for a full legal review. Get 20% off by using the coupon code H2E at protectyourexpertise.com.
Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Hourly to Exit podcast. Don't forget to check out the show notes for the resources and organizations mentioned during the episode. If you find the podcast to be valuable, please subscribe so you get notified of new episodes every week. And I would be so grateful for a rating and review, and it helps get the word out. See you next week.